You are listening to the Galena Missions Podcast, the preaching ministry of Galena Bible Church. Follow along as we study God's Word together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, of course, uh, there's probably a Bible hiding underneath one of these chairs. Everybody discovers that when we go to potluck afterwards and moves the chairs around and your first inclination is to tilt it and everything slides out of it. Um, but anyways, there are some the Bibles there if you don't didn't bring yourself one or some in a digital form. If you do not own a Bible, we would love to get you one. We've got lots and lots of uh, spare copies, gift copies, um, and we would love to bless you with one of those. So please feel free to ask and... Excited. He didn't think that was cool. First Thessalonians chapter two is where we're gonna be at. How many of you this morning would say that you want your life to matter? Yeah? Okay, if not, I'm available for counseling later. Uh, like that would that would definitely be is that the is there something that's opposite of narcissist right um, yeah all of us want our life to matter right we we want our life to be meaningful to have purpose we don't want to get to the end and we'd be like well that was a waste of time right uh, we don't want our life to be in vain. In fact, um, and it's interesting how the psychology of that works. We're seeing that psychology play out in the world today in what's now known as the Great Resignation. Uh, across um, uh, job spheres, different blue-collar, white-collar, all kind of different stuff, uh, what COVID did was it kind of did a, a shake-up of people, and they looked at their life, and they looked at their job, and they said, this doesn't feel like it matters, this doesn't feel like it makes sense, this doesn't feel like it brings the kind of joy and satisfaction uh, that I want, and there's a movement on it. And psychologists have been studying this, and of course, this is something psychologically that they've been studying for a long time. We've known that the sense of value, the sense of purpose, the sense of that we're accomplishing something in life, holds something very deep in the heart of people. Uh, and if we lose that, then we actually functionally lose life. It was uh, one of the um, classic cases of this was there were Nazi uh, psychologists that were trying to figure out the psyche. And what they did is they took a group of concentration camps prisoners uh, who were surviving. They were individuals who were making it through, uh, even the hardships and the challenges that they were going through, and they said, we're, we want to figure out how do we break that, and what is it about that, and what they found was these people had a will to live regardless of the circumstances that they were at. So what they did is they took a gigantic pile of rocks that were on uh, in the field, and they said, today your job is to take this pile of rocks and move it to the other side of the yard, and so these, these men and women with emaciated bodies, but had a will to live, picked up these rocks and determinately moved these rocks to the other side of the field. And then the next day, the guards woke up and said, okay, your job today is to take this pile of rocks and put it back where it was yesterday. And within a month, almost all of them were dead. Not because of the work that was involved, but because they realized it was all in vain. Their, their will to live, their purpose for life, was gone. The world teaches us to chase after many things. To chase after that great dream called the American dream. 
the retirements, the, the life of pleasure, the life of satisfaction, the life of uh, plenty. And of course, you know, the old adage is that there's no such thing as a hearse attached to, or a uh, U-Haul attached to a hearse, right? You don't get to bring any of it with you. Uh, the richest person in the world and the poorest person in the world die in the same condition. They get to bring the same things with them into that hole in the ground. So what is it about our life that has meaning? And I think the Bible tells us specifically that we have innate meaning and purpose because of who we are as image bearers of God. Distinctly as followers of Christ, we have been given a new identity and a new purpose in Him. But all of that is still receiving, right? We receive from God His goodness and character and nature. The definition of everything that is good and right comes from Him. We value love. That comes as a definition from Him. We value justice. That comes from a definition of Him. We value work. He's the one that created all things and modeled that for us. Everything that we have that we value is good. He is given to us. And even our identity in Christ is by grace alone, through faith alone, of no work of our own. It is His gracious gift to us. So how is it that we find purpose in our life? And the Apostle Paul, as he's writing to this church in Thessalonica, wants to clarify that for them and show them in his own life and the life of the ministers that are with him as they bore out the gospel of Jesus Christ and planted this little church there, what it meant to have purpose. Starting last week and today and the next two Sundays, we're doing a four-week series called We Are the Church. And looking at what we are as a church, what we believe, uh, that we've boiled down to basically four functional statements. What is our identity, our distinctives? Last week we took a look at come, the nature that we are invitational. We are invitational uh, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to be an evangelistic people that share this hope of Jesus with people that desperately need to hear it. But we want to invite people into our life and into our church and into our friend groups. We want to be an invitational people. And today... We're going to look at the second, which is share. We are generous. We are generous. Take a look with me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. He says this, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But after we had already suffered and had been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid such opposition. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext of greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority. But we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly tenderly cares for her own children. Having so found an affection for you, We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. 
For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. And you are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behaved towards you, believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. And for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the Word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the Word of men, but for what it really is, the Word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. This is the Word of the Lord. The Apostle Paul had an experience that he alludes to in this passage of Scripture. One of my favorite stories uh, in the gospel of, or in the, the story of the early church was uh, the planting of the church in Philippi. In Acts chapter 16, it's that story of Paul and Silas when uh, they you know, meet Lydia, this uh, affluent Asian woman, and she becomes the first follower of Christ uh, in, uh, in that part of the world. Uh, and then they're arrested after they heal a, a demon-possessed girl and they're thrown into prison. And all of the persecution that they endured there and they're driven out. And it's after that that people begin to follow them in a number of villages and saying that these men are stirring up trouble. They're teaching us to do practices that are contrary to us being Romans. And that followed them all the way to Thessalonica. So much so, and so great was the persecution that they experienced when they came to Thessalonica that they only got to be in Thessalonica for maybe ten days. But probably even less than uh, one full week. It's possible that they were there for two Sabbaths. Paul's entire pastoral ministry, church planting effort, discipleship engagement, evangelism, teaching, instruction, everything that he poured into the church in Thessalonica, ten days. First, hi, I'm Paul to this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, to this is what it means to be a follower of Him, to baptism, to eldership, to the the teaching of the Old Testament, the teaching of the covenants of God, and everything that was there. And then he left. And then Paul wrote this letter back to the church in Thessalonica with this joy because he had heard that they were still persisting in their faith. What an incredible thing. I mean, think about that. What would it look like if Glen Bible Church decided, you know what, we're going to go to a, we're going to we're going to do a mission trip to a remote place in Papua New Guinea, and all we can do because we got teachers and professionals, we can only take about ten days off. We got travel on the front end, travel on the back end, and we're going to go in there. We're going to spend one week, and we show up, and the first day there, we've not met anybody. We meet these people first day, and we begin to share with them our lives with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We begin to explain to them this precious truth that we know. We walk them through maybe one day going all the way starting from Genesis and walk through the story of God and His redemptive plan through that. 
And then the next day we show up at Jesus and we show them the work and goodness of God that He came in the flesh and did for us what we could not do for ourselves, that He was uh, crucified on the cross as a substitution for them. And they uh, believe that and they receive that and they're baptized that evening. Then the next day we begin teaching them what it means to be a follower of Christ and how you grow in that and looking at their lives and looking at sin issues and the challenges that are there. And then all of a sudden there's persecution that is coming from their neighbors over there that don't like that, but we're sharing the gospel with them as well. And then by Thursday, we're starting to realize that this guy maybe is somebody that can help lead this church. And so we begin to instruct them on what it means to be pastorally inclined and teach them what does eldership look like and how does that play out. And then by Friday, we're wrapping things up and we're answering questions. And Saturday, we're on the plane and we're out. And we land back in Galena and we're like, well, did it work? And six years later, there's a new dorm staff person that shows up and by golly, they're from Papua New Guinea. And we're like, whoa! That's a long ways from Galena, Alaska. Hey, we went there once. There was this church and they go, oh man, that's a great church. In fact, that's the church I got saved at and this is what they're doing. They're sending missionaries to other places. Could you imagine the incredible nature of that? The story of that? That's the, that's the impetus of First Thessalonians. It's him writing and saying, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure. He'd also heard word that there had been others that had come in after him and begun to stir up deceit. That he began to stir up things like, well, yes, Jesus is important and all this kind of stuff, but Jesus has already come back. The second coming's already happened. You missed it. And they're like, well, did we? We don't know. We only got disciple a week. There ain't no books for us to read, right? There's no podcast we can download and learn this kind of stuff. We don't know. And they got all these questions and they got all these things. And Paul writes to them, and his example to this is he says, I'm so thankful that when we preached the gospel to you, you received it. You heard it. We were invitational to you as we came to you. We came to you, but invited you in. Remember one of the things we said last week about the nature of us being intentional or invitational is we said, why are we invitational? It's because we're aliens living in a foreign land calling other people to a better home. They think where they live is the best place. And yet where they live is dead and they're dying in it. And we live as aliens and strangers. And that's what Paul did when he went into this place and he preached this. And he said, we shared with this and we rejoice in the fact, this is why he says in verse 13, for this reason, we also constantly thank God that you received the Word of God that you heard from us. What an incredible thing for, a believe, for somebody to hear the Word of God and believe it. It's an incredible story for you. It's an incredible story for me. It, it doesn't change what your ethnicity is, the value of that. It doesn't change when in your lifespan, if you came to follower of Jesus as a kid or as a teenager or as a young adult or as an old adult, it doesn't change the power of the story. God is faithful when you hear the Word and you receive it. And it changes your life. And we're praying that God would do that abundantly in the community in which we live. We want to be invitational in that nature. But just simply receiving is pretty selfish. Right? Just being uh, somebody who is receiving all the time is uh, something that is... Uh, we would consider to be very selfish. If you ever, if you, all you ever do is uh, show up to uh, things and you just 
receive, right? You're just the one that takes. Everybody begins to know you as that person. The Bible even says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. But what is it that God wants us to give into this world as we engage it? Well, Paul mentioned a number of things that he said they did not do while they were there. He said things like, in verse 5, we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with pretexts for greed, and nor did we seek the glory or seek glory from men, from either from you or from others. When they came, they didn't come to take from these people. They didn't come trying to woo them over like some slick politician coming in and saying, hey, what do I need to do to get your votes in on kind of a thing, right? And there is a temptation for a lot of people within Christianity to be able to say the slick words that make people uh, want to agree with them and fall in line with that. I fear that's where we are kind of as a nation right now within Christianity as there's been this marriage of Christianity and politics that you try to weave the slickness of words in so that we want people to believe the gospel, but we also want them to believe political ideology as well and they mar the two. And Paul said, I don't really care about that. I didn't come to you with flattering words. One of my favorite statements about the Gospel uh, comes from D.L. Moody. He says, the Gospel is offensive. My job is just to not be offensive on top of it. Right? Like, the Gospel is offensive. We can do everything we want to do to polish it and everything else. The Gospel says we are God-haters destined for hell. And apart from the saving work of Jesus, we have no hope. The Gospel tells us there is no universalism. Not Not all dogs go to heaven. Right? As if we're dogs in that sense. Like the the picture of the gospel is very harsh, but it's so glorious because of the truth that it reveals in us. That when it is our only hope, it is the most glorious hope. And we don't come with flattering speech, we don't come to try to get something out of you. Our goal for being invitational is not so we get more butts in the seat so there's more dollars in the plate. That's not the goal. Though it is for a lot of people within Christianity. That is not us. And that was not Paul. And he said, we didn't seek glory. We didn't want to be famous amongst people. That when people say, oh, you're Paul's friend, like that's something big. So that's not us. No, he says, when we came, he says, you yourselves recall, brethren, our labor and our hardship, how we worked night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you. We proclaim to you the gospel of God. And we proclaim this gospel of God as the most glorious thing that we own. Because it really is. That's what it means to be a Christian. To be somebody that's realized that the Gospel is the most glorious truth that we know. But here's the thing about this. The Gospel is something that we receive and changes our lives. But what we actually give to people is more than the Gospel. See this is what he says. Verse 8. Having so fond and affectionate Affection for you, we were well pleased, your translation might say, to share 
to share to you not only the gospel of God, but what? What? Our very own selves. Wait, what? I mean, the gospel is the most glorious thing. Have Christian, have you ever thought that your job is not just to share the gospel? Your job is to share you with a lost and dying world. In a lot of ways, the gospel is just words if it's not manifest in the lives of people that it's been changed, that it's changed. Who we are in Christ is actually what the world sees. We can say the words. In fact, we've been saying the words forever, right? Every football game ever, there's some guy that's holding up a big sign that says, John 3.16. And every pagan in the world knows what the John 3.16 means. And it doesn't matter to them. Because their picture of John 3.16 is the, the guy that claimed to be a Christian, yet cheated him out of the contract and lied about his taxes and cheated on his wife and did everything else. That was the image. But the guy thinks in his mind, it's no big deal because I'm sharing the Gospel. And Paul says, we didn't just share the Gospel with you, we shared our very selves. And if you look at the life of Paul and you look at the life of Jesus and you look at every command of what it means for us to be like Him, to follow after Him, Paul said this, he said, uh, follow me as I follow the example of Christ. And he said that in such a way as to indicate that that's the way that we were called to live. We were called to invite people to imitate us. I don't know about you, that's kind of an intimidating thing, huh? Because I know that there's been things in my life this week that were not worthy of imitation, and yet that's what God calls us to. We shared with you our very selves. What exactly does that mean? I think functionally we've got three generalized things that we can share generously. And you're probably familiar with them. If you've been around church long enough, or any church long enough, you've probably heard them. There's time, there's talents, and there's treasure. Time, talents, and treasure. I want to start with the last one, though. Treasure. Treasure is what we value, right? Everybody treasures things differently. You ever know anybody that has a weird collection? I had a friend of mine. He was—he was one of my, my. Actually, he was my first boss. Uh, he collected fans, like fans, just old oscillating fans. And when I say he collected them, the dude had hundreds of them. It was not a small collection. It was—it was a lot of collection. He had collected a lot of other things. But the fans was one that I was like, you know, I mean, you collect, you know, remember the old, you ever, any of you guys have a grandma or something like that that collected spoons or thimbles? You know, that was, that was a very common thing for people to travel and they'd buy a spoon from, you know, Amarillo, Texas and they'd hang it up on there. That's fine. Those are little, right? Fans are big, right? And you would look at those things and it was, he treasured those. He knew the value of them. And here's the thing about him. He was a part of, no joke, a fan club. <laughs> that followed 
antique fans and how to restore them and all the whole thing, right? And he had connections with people and he was there. And he shared his treasure, his value of that with other people. And he loved people through that. He engaged with them in that. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, is what the Scriptures tell us. And your treasures are the things that you can hold on to. Your treasures are things that you've bought. They're, they're, they're things that you, you uh, literally earned money for and you exchanged paper bills for and you bought those things and they're valuable for you. liked them. Right? We live in a place where uh, you know, snow machines and four-wheelers are not you know, just weekend toys. They're literally means of living, how you get around. And so people are very particular, you know, are you a Polaris guy, are you you know, Skidoo guy, right? You either Skidoo or you Skidon't, right? Like those, those kind of things, right? All of that kind of, like we value those kind of things. Our treasure can be our job and our education that we paid money into and we worry and we're value about that, we're proud of that. Our treasure can be our house that we own and our treasure can be our retirement account that we've saved up. Our treasures can be all of these things. And here's the question that we ask. How are we being generous with our treasure? To put another way, before you purchase anything, do you think, how can this serve to glorify God and bless others? How can this glorify God and bless others? It will radically change the way that you own things. Because here's the, here's the reality of that. We already gave the illusion to the story of it. When the kingdom of God was being taught by Jesus, when He was wanting people just to get a taste of what this kingdom life was going to be like, what it meant for us to be, uh, believe this gospel, this incredibly good news because of the incredibly bad news, He said it was going to be the kingdom of heaven would be like a man walking across a field and he stumbles and kicks a treasure right there in the middle of it. And he opens up and he realizes what's in that treasure and he covers it back up. And then he goes home and he does something crazy. He sells everything he owns. He pawns everything. He garage sales everything. He negotiates everything that he has with every neighbor and sells all of it. And everybody's just like, this dude's fixing to kill himself, right? Like, there's, this is not good. But he knows in his heart, this thing, everybody else thinks I'm nuts, but this thing is more valuable than everything else. And he values it and he runs for it and he, and he pursues it. And this is what Jesus describes it as. This is everything that you treasure. This is every one of your relationships. This is every one of your five-year goals. This is every one of your weekend uh, play toys. This is every job that you will ever apply for. This is every hobby you will ever participate in. All of these things are the treasures that we have that He says we gave to you our very selves. We wanted you to enjoy the Gospel of Jesus Christ and we used these things that we loved to be with you. We take people out fishing in our boat. We show people sights on the snow machine. We give generously to missions uh, as a strategic part of the raise that we got. We do things with the things that we have in such a way to think differently about it. 
missional entrepreneurship is something that is, um, has been being talked about probably for about the last 10 to 15 years within mission movements. It's one of the challenges we have within uh, Christianity of thinking about how do we engage in missions uh, in a full-time capacity, right? We can do the tent maker style thing where you go up to a place and you get a job and you work in that place and that's what you do, but then your time is divided, right? You can only do so much because you have the job that's taking up your time and you can do what you can do at the time that you have left, kind of an engagement kind of thing. Or you can raise funds and support and go, you know, and that, but that's challenging and it's hard and all that kind of stuff. What if there were Christians that lived in such a way as to say, you know what, I want to start a business and my goal for the business is I want 50% of the income of the business to go to support global missions. If that was actually the way in which they foster that. There actually are believers that do that. There's people that I know that have blessed our church because when they were in a high-paying executive job, rather than taking the raise and saying, you know what, I think I'm going to buy my third house. They put it into a charitable trust and then use that funds to do things like buy a boiler for a church in rural Alaska so that they can burn wood and not have to burn fuel oil to fund their ministry. We're buying a yurt for a church in Ruby so that they have a place for visitors to come and stay in. It's a different way of thinking about our treasure and it's giving of our very selves. To think that our possessions exist for the glory of Christ and for the furtherment of the kingdom is a different way of changing things. That's treasures. Talents uh, are what they sound like. You can get more treasures. You can earn more money and buy more things. Talents are a little bit more of a finicky thing, right? Some people are really talented. You know, there's I always enjoy you know seeing the videos online of like you ever see the videos where it's like a, it says a six-year-old piano aficionado you know crushes some like ridiculous and it's just this little you know little tiny nothing just in the, you know just ripping this piano apart and you're like it's incredible talent right we love those kind of things and God has given talent to the people of our church and some of it is unique talent some of it is talent that we have to think okay God how how does this work in a context like like this how do I how do I use the gifting that I have in such a way as to bless others well, if your talent is cooking, because I, believe me, there are people that are not talented in that. If your talent is cooking, uh, there are people in our church that they use that talent to abundantly bless other people and give generously from that and serve them in a way that when they're sick or need or just, hey, I know that you've been in a tired and tiring season. Here's a casserole, right? I don't know how many people have been soothed in the gospel because of a loving casserole, right? Maybe your talent's music. Maybe your talent's art. Maybe your talent's construction. Uh, Maybe your talent is that you're a good listener. Because believe it or not, that's actually a talent. Maybe your talent is teaching. Maybe your talent is that you're mechanically minded. Maybe your talent is tying back to treasures that you are financially savvy and you have the ability to help other people think strategically about those kind of things. As you think about the gifting that you have, you can use those things 
to win the favor of men, to seek the glory of men. Paul was a talented guy. He was an incredible teacher. He was incredibly fluent in the Scriptures. In fact, he was such a high-esteemed Jewish guy that if he had wanted to, and if he had not come to faith in Jesus, he would have been one of the leaders of the synagogue, like the highest of the high that there would have been in his religious order. That's what he would have been because of the talented nature that he had, and yet he decided, that's not what I want to do that because that's me seeking my glory. And there was this whole Damascus Road experience thing where God literally knocked him on his rear end. But... Aside from that, he decided, I'm going to use my talent for God's glory. Now the thing about treasures and talents is both of those you can actually get more of. You can get more treasures. You can work harder, get a better paying job, invest better, and have more things to be able to have more treasures. And you can get better at things. I don't know if you guys have heard of this little thing called YouTube, but holy cow, you can learn anything on YouTube. Anything. But here's one thing that there's absolutely nothing that you can do to acquire more of. Time. You can't... You can stay awake longer, but guess what? You still have the same amount of time as the guy that's sleeping. He, you just maybe do more with it. Eventually there is a an effect of diminishing returns that comes in if you don't sleep enough, right? But you still get the same number of hours in the day. But here's one of the things that I think we mistake when we think about time. Oftentimes we think about time in the context of church of, okay, time means volunteering. I'm going to sign up for the thing and I'm going to do the thing and I'm going to give my time. Especially for new people coming in, they think of this generosity of their time in terms of there's all these things like Galena is is a place where you show up with your dance card and everybody wants to fill it right especially if they find out that you're talented and then they will definitely fill your dance card right and there's this thing of how do I fill my dance card but we don't think of time in terms of the reality that time is always happening like when you volunteer you're only volunteering for a slot And though that is being generous, that's not exactly what Paul was describing here. Paul was saying, we gave to you our very selves. Not, we gave to you from 2 to 3 on Thursday afternoon. He says, we gave to you our very selves. So what does it mean for us to be generous with our time? Oftentimes, it means being generous with your presence. Your presence. Presence. I had a pastor friend of mine in in the early years of ministry. He said, you know what the greatest ministry that a pastor has is? I said, what's that? He said, it's called the ministry of show up. Just show up. Be there. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to say anything. In fact... Most of the time in those crucial moments when somebody's sick, when somebody's got the bad news, when the, 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 the heartbreak happens, when the miscarriage takes place, when the bad diagnosis comes, one of the worst things we can do is show up and say stuff. Because we'll say really dumb things. Well, I guess heaven needed another angel. It doesn't help. 
One of the best things we can do is just be present. It was one of the things that Job's friends screwed up with. They stayed inside with him for three days and they were doing good. And then they started talking. And that screwed everything up. Just be present in people's lives. It's one, I think it's one of the frustrations for like uh, young moms and dads these days is we, we think that every moment has to be a teaching moment. Every, every playtime has to be an instruction. Everything has to be an manipulation. Everything has to move forward in that. When really, the most beneficial thing that you'll have is just, yeah, mom and dad were there. They were just there. They were in my life. They didn't always have to learn. They were just present. That's what time means. Being generous with time. It means having friends. It means sitting quietly and drinking tea. Time also means experience. Sharing experience. One of the things about life is that it has a tendency to keep moving forward. And as it keeps moving forward, we keep accumulating new experiences. And the longer that we walk with Christ, the more we find out just how incredible the Gospel of Jesus Christ is. I love when I get the chance to come into faith, or come into relationship with somebody right before they come to Jesus, watch them come to Jesus, and then watch their life as the Gospel changes this part of their life, and this part of their life, and this part of their life. And you begin to watch their life unpack and unpack and, un- and go like, here's this traumatic thing in their life, and you go, is the Gospel going to be enough? And boom, there it is, and it's enough, and you're just like, that's so incredible. And you watch those things go. What if they kept that to themselves? The Bible describes our experience that God wastes nothing in our life as a Christian. There's no tear that we experience. There's no heartache that we experience. There's no challenge or trial that we go through that is wasted in the Christian life. That's what he means when he says God works all things together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. And for us to be generous with our time is for us to be generous with our experiences. Maybe not to walk with somebody and say, I know how you're feeling. Because that's another one of those. It's not, that's not good. You don't. You're not them. Interesting note, side note on this. If you ever attend a funeral, there's one person that's died in actuality. But for every person that it's in attendance on that, it is a totally different person. It's a totally different person. So if you think... Yeah, I, you know, I, you know, I've lost a grandparent, and so I know what it's like to lose a grandparent. So I can empathize with you on that. They may have had a terrible relationship with this individual, and it's not, it's not the same. Whereas their child might have had a great relationship with them. Two totally different person, but one body in the grave. You just don't know in those. So how does experience play into that? Well, experience plays into that in going. I may not know exactly what you're going through, but I do know grief. And so I know right now you probably ought to drink some water. So here's a bottle of water. And I know you probably need to have a a thing of tissues nearby from experience. And when they look at you and they say, what should I do? You could say, I don't know, but here's some things that helped me. This is experience. This is time. This is life. 
And it's happening whether you want to spend it or not. You can be stingy with your, uh, your stuff. You don't get to be stingy with time. It just gets taken away from you whether you want it to or not. Having so fond an affection for you. We were well pleased to impart to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. And this ultimately ends in the last thing that we want to be generous with. We really It goes back to treasure, our greatest treasure. It really is the story of God in our own lives. It's who Jesus is to us. I can say this very boldly to you. If Jesus is not your greatest treasure, you are not a Christian. You may have spent your entire life in church. You may have a piece of paper that says you're a Christian. You may have all kinds of things. Somebody that's looked at you and said, yep, you're a Christian. Close family members and those kind of things. What, what am I? Am I Buddhist? I mean, you know, Hindu? Methodist? What, what am I? No, you're a Christian. If Jesus is not your greatest treasure, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also, Jesus said. If Jesus is your greatest treasure, then it is the greatest treasure that we have to give away and to share. It ties back into... We, we never really actually outgrow in the whole process of, of, our, of our church life being invitational. We always want to be generous with the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Next week we're going to take a look at grow, which sounds a lot like growing, learning imparting wisdom. And in that, we want to be invitational. Come and see what Jesus does in your life. Come and see how the book of Isaiah changes the way that you view God's redemptive plan through all history, down through the person and work of Jesus in your life. Here's this parenting class, and we want you to see how Jesus changes everything about who you are. When you screw up as a parent, Jesus is there to receive that. He paid the penalty of that on the cross. Here's a financial planning uh, Bible study that we're going to do. And, say, and here's what Jesus does with you. Like, all of it. It's all about Jesus. So this morning, if there's one thing I want to share with you, I don't really have any flattering words. I don't, I don't think of myself as a um, manipulative or you know, slick-tongued preacher. Here's my notes. The gospel of Jesus Christ is all I have to give. So this morning, if you if you don't know him, if he's not your greatest treasure, there's there's nothing better I have to share with you. I I can share with you where to go get blueberries. I can share with you where the, the good hunting patch is. I can share with you information about how to fix your car how to plan for retirement. I can share all those things for you, but what does it profit a man if he gains everything and gets all the moose and all the berries and has a great retirement plan and dies and goes to hell? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? If we as Christians don't take that seriously, we don't, we don't believe it's our greatest treasure. It's the thing we, we want our neighbor to know. It's the thing that we want our family members to know. It's the thing we want our, our co-workers to know. And it's what I want you to know this morning. But Jesus is better than everything else that you've put your heart, soul, and value in. He's so good.
He's so good. May God grant that He causes us to be a church that is generous with our time, our talents, and our treasures. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that You're enough. And so God, we we pray that You would help us to be generous. Help us to be people that look at all the things that You've given us. Every moment, every experience, every talent, every everything that we can put our hands around say this is this belongs to me all of those we lay those at your feet and we say god use it for your glory and show me how to be a good steward of it help us to be a people that are generous i pray god for if any's here today that maybe they've been kidding themselves they love the idea of christianity but they don't love jesus Holy Spirit, I pray that right now conviction would fall and that they would see You as their great Savior. Thank You so much that we get to share food together in a moment. And I pray that You would help us to share our week, share our laughter, share our stories, and share our time. We love You, God. In Your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope you've been blessed by the hearing of God's Word. Feel free to connect with us at www.galenabiblechurchak.com and subscribe to this podcast at iTunes or at galenamissions.podbean.com.